So two weeks ago, we began a journey through the early churches of the New Testament with a series called Marks of a Healthy Church. And we started with the very first church mentioned in the book of Acts as it began on the day of Pentecost. The Bible gives us a description of this church and what they focused on at the very beginning and lessons that we can learn as a church as we're trying to figure out uh, what priorities we should have. Uh, we need to look back at the very first church and the priorities that they had. And uh, we're doing so for the purpose of asking the question, are these characteristics evident in our church? But more importantly, and really more effectively, are these characteristics evident in my life? Not just in my church, but in my life, because after all, this church is made up once again of many individuals. And uh, if it's not true of me and it's not true of you, then it's not going to be true in the church. So it's got to be true of me and it's got to be true of you in order for it to be evident and characteristic of our church. So by way of review, over the last couple of weeks, we saw that the first church had uh, some important uh, characteristics that, again, we want to try to have in our own lives uh, so that it will be evident in our church as well. They First of all, we mentioned that they had receptive hearts to the Word of God. Verse number one, then they that gladly received His Word. Remember, uh, it was something that they gladly received, and it was something that it wasn't like, well, this isn't a part of the Bible that I want to hear. It was something that they were gladly receiving, no matter what it was. Because uh, remember, the Bible is not a smorgie that we go to on Sunday after church and say, well, I'll take a little bit of macaroni and cheese, but I'm going to leave that stale tapioca right there. How many of you like tapioca? Uh, I knew it. <laughs> that illustration is just dead. But the idea is that we don't, we don't pick and choose what we want out of the Bible uh, based on our likes and dislikes. We take it all. We gladly receive the Word of God. And I hope that you have that receptive heart to the Word of God, that there's not uh, a portion of Scripture that you're going, oh, not this again, I'm not going to listen to this, but that you're willing to receive it all. So they had receptive hearts to the word of God. They had a willingness to obey God, if you recall. It says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So that was the next step that God wanted these early believers to take. And they were willing to obey God, even if it was difficult. Remember, it wasn't like they got to go in the nice heated baptistry and you know, everybody was going to clap for them and, and, and their whole family was going to be excited that they were making this decision. No, it was, it was a difficult uh, decision to make, but... If the Lord wanted them to do that, they were willing to do it. And uh, I want to encourage all of us to, again, have that willingness to obey God, whether it's easy or not, whether it's convenient or not. We're willing to obey God. Um, And again, that's not just our church, but that's you and that's me. Okay, and then uh, we also talked about they had a commitment to doctrine. Remember in verse 42, the Bible says, David, and they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine. And we talked about the importance of knowing what we believe and why we believe it. And it's not just for the church, but it's for me. I need to know. Because when I'm out in the community, when I'm being asked about my faith, I need to be able to back up with some more than just, well, that's what they say down at the church. Um, I need to know what and why I believe what I believe. So a commitment to doctrine. And it was, again, they were 
continued steadfastly in it. It wasn't something that was flippant. It wasn't something that, well, we'll see if we get this. It was something they were intentional, deliberate about uh, learning and growing in. They also, and we talked about this last week, they were focused on fellowship. In uh, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, uh, learning to uh, grow together and build relationships one with another in the church. And uh, I, I want to just say this. I, I think your, your closest friends ought to be the ones in the church. Um, it's okay to have friends outside the church, but, but I think your closest friends ought to be the ones inside the church, ones who are of like-mindedness when it comes to uh, doctrine. And, and again, the, Amos said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Um, we've got to be in agreement, and, and you can walk together with someone outside the church. That's fine, but... I think your closest friends and your best friends ought to be the ones here at Cornerstone. Not to become cultic or cliquish or anything along those lines, but I think the healthiest relationships are the ones within the church. The ones outside the church, we are going to have those, but we need to make sure that we're building fellowship and focusing on fellowship here at Cornerstone. And again, that's not just, are we as a church doing that? It's, am I as a member of the church doing that? That's the question we need to really be asking. And then they had a priority on prayer in verse number 42. Again, fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we talked last week about the corporate prayer of a church and uh, the importance of doing that together as a church family. Remember, I brought out my very shiny zoo pass uh, last week and talked about the access that I have to the Oklahoma City Zoo and uh, how cool that is, but it's not open all the time, is it? Uh, but the Lord is available for us to come to Him anytime, anywhere, for as long as we want and for any reason. And uh, that access never expires. There, remember I mentioned there's an expiration date on my pass. I'm going to have to renew it. You'll never have to renew this access to the God's throne room. Uh, there's no annual fee for it. It was already purchased on the cross of Calvary. For you, for me. Well, we have this wonderful access into God's throne room. Do we use it? Are we taking advantage of that access? And that was what we talked about last week. And then there was an understanding in that early church of unity. Uh, In in verse 42, the Bible says, "And, And all that believed were together and had all things common. That didn't mean they liked the same football team or like... Well, they, they probably all liked the Oklahoma University of Oklahoma Sooners. That's probably Cowboy fans there. Yeah, I know. I got a better duck here. Especially it depends on who's in the century ministry right now. <laughs> but they had, they had this unity as, as believers. They had the most important things in common. They had a foundation of their faith in Jesus Christ as something that uh, they were willing to build upon and, and they were together. They didn't let division, little petty things cause division in their church. And as, as we try to go and reach this community with the gospel of Christ, we're going to have a very difficult time if there's division. If we're not moving together as a unit, if, we're, if, if one has something against another, and I'm not saying that that's the case, but I'm just saying, if, if that ever becomes the case, then it, it really distracts from our purpose. So they had an understanding of unity, and, 
and we also need to have an understanding of unity. So that's what we talked about last couple weeks. Um, it's a good thing we're probably not going to do a part four because then the review will take even that much longer. Um, but I don't want us to forget what we've already heard, and I think it's healthy to do a little bit of review. So uh, from there, we're going to go tonight to hit the last four characteristics of this very first church, and, and, uh, and Lord willing, next week we'll move on with a different, a different church to look at and examine. But um, I want you to notice, first of all, tonight, um, as we finish these last four characteristics, first of all, they had generosity. This church had generosity in verse number 45. The, this church, they, they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And so they had some great generosity. Albert, Albert Barnes in his commentary on this verse says this, that is, they sold as much as was necessary in order to procure the means of providing for the needs of each other. Now, this was a little bit of a unique scenario, uh, a little different than it is today. We don't necessarily need to do this today, but but back in, back in this day, um, it, was, it was necessary for them to do this. Uh, some, like I said, as, as a result of them coming to Christ and getting baptized, many of them ended up losing their jobs, their way of making a living. And so there was some poorer folks that had uh, yoked up with this church. And as a result, uh, there were some who decided, well, let's, let's do what we can to help these, these poor people. Lost their jobs, lost everything. Let's, let's do what we can to... Uh, maybe sell some possessions and, and give them uh, some money so that they can eat, so that they can have uh, their, their needs met financially. And so there was a willingness to uh, be unselfish and to give their possessions to meet a need. Uh, but Albert Barnes goes on to say in his commentary regarding this verse later on, he says, If it be asked then whether all the arrangements of the property should be broken up now, as in like in our day and age in 2019, and uh, he didn't write this commentary in 2019, but you get what I'm saying. And believers have all things in common. We are prepared to answer no, uh, because this was an extraordinary case. It was not even enjoined by the apostles on them. It wasn't like, hey, this is what we have to do. It was something that was spontaneous. It was a natural reflex that these, these Christians had. It was like, let's, let's do what we can to meet the need. It wasn't like, you know, Peter got up and said, all right, thus saith the Lord, this is what we have to do. It was not mandated. It was just something that people on their own decided to do. Um, it was also practiced nowhere else. Uh, and it would also be impractical. Uh, impractical. There we go. Uh, no community where all things were held in common has long prospered, right? It has been attempted often by pagans, by infidels, by fanatical sects of Christians. It ends soon in anarchy, anarchy idleness, and, uh, and just not a good scenario. Um, so while I'm not advocating tonight that all of us go home and put our homes on the market and bring the proceeds to the church, that's not what I'm advocating at all. Um, that, would, that would be silly. And... Um, but I am advocating and encouraging us to have a generous spirit towards the needs of the church and those in it, right? And that's what, that's what these, these believers had. They were sensitive to the needs of those around them in the church, and they were willing to do something about it. It wasn't like, hey, be warmed and filled, like I said this morning. It wasn't like, hey, that's a nice need. Now I'm going to go, you know, I, I, I see that you're cold there. Um, I'd love to help you, but uh, I got to go buy my, you know, $300 jacket for me. 
You know what I mean? It, that's, that's the opposite of what these, these Christians were, and that's the opposite of what we should be too. We, we need to be willing to give and, and uh, to have a generous spirit towards the needs of the church. These early believers were willing to sacrifice their possessions in order to be a blessing to the others in their assembly. Uh, Paul Harvey reported that, in, that during the 1995 Thanksgiving season, uh, this is pretty remarkable, a woman re- purportedly called up the Butterball Turkey Company's hotline and asked whether it was advisable to cook a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. Wow. I think our record is two. Okay. <laughs> um, 23 years uh, that turkey had hung out in their freezer. The customer service rep advised her that as long as the freezer had maintained a below zero temperature, it'd probably be okay. <laughs> However, she was warned that the turkey would be less than tasty after 23 years of being in that freezer. So the woman responded, oh, that's what we thought. We'll just donate it to the church. Thanks. <laughs> Yippee. Now, sadly, this is a common attitude among churchgoers. Rather than give God our best, our offerings are subpar. Rather than make a genuine sacrifice, we offer our discardables. Rather than commit to service, we resist being inconvenienced. Someone wrote a little poem, and, and I thought it was appropriate for here. And it, it said, leftovers are such humble things. How many of you are leftover fans? How many are not leftover fans? My hand is lifted on the non-fan list. Um, I will eat them once in a great while, but that guy, (laughs) he promised me. He promised me if he skipped nap today, he would stay awake during church. Uh, Okay. (laughs) And he's... He's got a lollipop, sleeping with a lollipop in his mouth. (laughs) Let me get back to the notes. Leftovers are such humble things. We would not serve to to a guest, and yet we serve them to our Lord, who deserves the very best. We give to him leftover time, stray minutes here and there. Leftover cash we give to him, such few coins as we can spare. We give our youth unto the world to hatred, lust, and strife. Then in declining years, we give to him the remnant of our life. Uh, My encouragement to all of us is let's not give Lord leftovers. Uh, Let's give him our best. He deserves our best. Randy Alcorn said this, and I like this thought. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. We often think, i got a raise. Sweet. What kind of new car can I get? What kind of new clothes could I get? And, and again, there's nothing wrong with any having a nice, nice clothes or nice car. Um, God does give us all things to enjoy. I get that. So there's a balance here. But I think it would do good for us to understand this principle that God does prosper me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Maybe when God gives you a a raise, maybe you can say, neat, now maybe I can support another missionary family. Maybe our family could, uh, you know, take care of 
another missionary family. Maybe we could give a little extra uh, to the work of God. And that's, that, that's the right attitude for us as believers, not, oh, what, how much more can I have? Paul told Timothy, he said, uh, as he writes to Timothy, and basically a pastoral manual is the book of First and Second Timothy. And he says, uh, Timothy, here's what you need to do. I want you to charge them that are rich in this world, which, by the way, is every one of us in this room. Um, you say, well, I'm not rich. You know, I don't have this much. Mo-. All of us are pretty wealthy, uh, especially when you compare ourselves with the rest of the world's population. Uh, Americans are, are very, very wealthy. Um, it says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, the word communicate there isn't like, well, I'm going to go send you a text message. If it is a text message, it's the text message that we have that you can give by text via text uh, here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. That's the kind of texting uh, the communication here is referring to. It's, it's financial communication. It's giving, sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, Paul does, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. Charles Spurgeon and his wife, according to a story in the Chaplain magazine, would sell, but refused to give away the eggs their, chick, their chickens laid. So they, they, they had chickens, laid eggs, and they would sell those eggs, and they refused to give them away. Even close relatives were told, you may, ha- you may have them if you pay for them. Well, that's pretty selfish. And as a result, some people labeled the Spurgeons pretty greedy and grasping for money. Well, they accepted the criticisms without defending themselves, and only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was the full story revealed. You see, all the profits from the sale of eggs went to support two elderly widows. And because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what the right hand was doing, they endured the attacks in silence. They had a spirit to give. They had generosity. And I want to encourage all of us here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to not be stingy, to not be greedy, but to be generous, uh, particularly to the work of God. And it was Martin Luther who said this, I have tried to keep things in my hands and lost them all. But what I have given unto God's hands, I still possess. The things that we try to hold on to, you're going to lose it. The things that you give to the Lord, those are the things you're going to keep. So the, this early church, they had generosity. And I want to ask us as a church, are we a generous church? And I would, I would say yes. We're supporting 45 missionaries on a monthly basis. That is a blessing. That shows that we are generous. I want to encourage us to keep that generosity going and maybe, maybe even ramp it up a little bit. But it's going to take for each of us, if we're as a church going to be able to ramp up our generosity, it's going to mean that I need to ramp up my generosity and you yours. So one of the focuses of the early church is they had generosity. Number two, they had gladness. They had gladness. 
And verse number 46, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Gladness. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this verse, says, It made them very pleasant and enlarged their hearts with holy joy. Now, it does beg the question, why were these people so glad? I mean, many of them were perhaps truly treated poorly by their families because they became one of those weirdos. They became one of those Christians. Join this new church thing. Maybe any, uh, many maybe even lost their jobs, and yet the Bible records that there was a spirit of gladness in that, ch- in that church. What caused them to be so glad? Well, the Bible doesn't quite give the answer, but we can certainly speculate that it probably was because of what happened in their lives. The fact that Jesus had saved them from their sins and given them eternal life. And they had now the Holy Spirit living inside and they were, uh, and now they, they're on their way to heaven. Their future is secure. They had the, the, the deepest void in their life filled. You know, I think the reason that we are missing joy sometimes as Christians And we're missing joy and gladness in our lives is because we have spiritual amnesia. We forget all that God has done for us. Can I remind us all tonight that in Christ we have been made a new creature? We have passed from death unto life and from darkness to light. No longer will we have to spend eternity in a horrible place called hell, but now we get to one day spend all of eternity in a wonderful place called heaven. Do you remember what it was like when you got saved? You know, at that church in in Ephesus, when they had left their first love, in Revelation chapter number 2, I think it is. Yes, Uh, Revelation chapter 2, they left their first love, and we'll, we'll hit this in a little more detail as we get down to it. But he said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You know, I think one of the reasons that we don't have gladness sometimes as believers is because we're we have forgotten what it was like to first be newly saved. We've been saved for too long and we forget what it was like that that season right after we came to Christ. And I want to encourage us to, in our minds once in a while, go back to what it was like when you first became a Christian. And remember the songs that you were learning, the hymns that you were learning, and remember how precious they were to you in those days. And the Word of God, is, is it began to start making sense to your heart, and you're going, wow, this, is, this makes sense, I get it. You remember those days. It's good for us as couples once in a while. We just celebrated Valentine's Day. It's good for us as couples once in a while to go back and remember what it was like when we first met. To remember how you felt about each other and those butterflies that were in your stomach and because uh, you're so nervous to talk to her or to talk to him and, and uh, how much you desired to be with, with them. Do you remember what it was like? It's good for us as believers to go back to remember what it was like to be newly saved. And these believers here were newly saved and they were on fire for God and there was just this 
this natural joy that they were expressing. And I want to encourage us in this area of gladness. One morning, R.C. Chapman, a devout Christian, was asked how he was feeling. He said, I'm burdened this morning, was his reply. But his happy countenance contradicted his words. He's like, I'm burdened this morning. Like, what? What? <laughs> you may want to tell your face that you're burdened because you just kind of look like you're, you know, about to go to, you know, an amusement park or something or go eat a large pepperoni pizza by yourself or something, you know. <laughs> or go to Brahms after Sunday night church, you know. It just looks like... <laughs> Looks like you're, you're ecstatic about something, but you just said you're really burdened about something. So the questionnaire examined, exclaimed in surprise, are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? Oh, yes, but it's a wonderful burden. It's an overabundance of blessings for which I cannot find enough time or words to express my gratitude. <laughs> Seeing the puzzled look on the face of his friend, Chapman added with a smile, he said, I'm referring to Psalm 68, 19, where it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah, which fully describes my condition. In that verse, the Father in heaven reminds us that he daily loads us with benefits. You know, if you're thinking, well, I'm just, you know, start complaining and griping about life, um, it means you're not counting your blessings. And uh, once you start counting your blessings, you will... See what the Lord has done. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done, as the song says. A conference in, at a Presbyterian church in Omaha. There was a conference there in a Presbyterian church in Omaha. And at this conference, people were given helium-filled balloons and told them to release them at some point in the service when they felt uh, like expressing joy in their hearts. And since they were Presbyterians, they weren't free to say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Amen. <laughs> and so all through the service, balloons ascended as people started feeling joy as the service went on. But when it was over, unfortunately, a third of the balloons were unreleased. Uh, God's given us, us balloons, so to speak. Let them go. Uh, let, let your heart be overflowed with gladness and joy. Uh, they didn't have, it, it, notice the point says they had gladness. They didn't have uh, gloom, doom, and, uh, you know, griping and all of that. That's what the world has. God, God wants us as believers to act a little bit differently, and God can use us when we have a glad attitude to play the glad game. How many of you know that, play the glad game? When, uh, when things aren't, yeah, my wife taught me that one. Um, when things aren't going well, you just play the glad game. Well, at least it's not worse, <laughs> um, and it's a good game to play. Did you know that it takes 17 muscles to, to smile? Most of us know this. It takes 17 muscles to smile and 43 muscles to frown. Pessimism takes a greater toll on us than does optimism. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that words like joy, rejoice, thanksgiving, gladness are associated with the life of faith. These emotions bring a lightness to our souls. I'll close this point with this thought here. Uh, somebody said, it is not happy people who are thankful, but thankful people who are happy. Uh, let me say that again. It's not happy people who are thankful, but thankful people who are happy. 
You know, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be thankful as long as I'm happy. Well, that happiness ebbs and flows, right, if we base it on circumstances. But when we decide to be thankful, then we're going to find ourselves pretty happy, even in difficult scenarios. And that leads me to the third thought tonight. Not only did they, were they generous and have a gener- generosity, they also had gladness, but they gave praise to God. Verse 47. Verse 47 says, praising God, praising God, and uh, having favor with all the people. But they gave praise to God. Uh, Luke chapter number 24, as Luke finishes his gospel, the last four verses of his entire gospel say this. And Jesus, led the, he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So this is, the, this is one account of the ascension of Christ into heaven. Okay, verse 52 says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So there's that gladness that these believers had. Then the next, the last final verse of this whole book of the Bible says this, And were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. You see, gladness and contentment led these believers to give praise to God for the many spiritual blessings in their lives. They were thankful and gave praise to God for the change that took place in their lives. And I want to remind us all that praise is a sacrifice that indeed pleases the Lord. Hebrews 13 tells us, By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with the, such sacrifices God is well pleased. I know it's, it's easy to praise God when things are going well, when you get a promotion and you, you find out your children are acing all their tests. And I mean, when, when things are just going hunky-dory in your life, it's easy to say, oh, praise the Lord. When things aren't going well. When you go through a difficult time or hear some difficult news, many of us heard this morning, that's when God says, that sac- when you praise the Lord during those moments, that is a sacrifice that God is well pleased with. So this church was known for their praising of God. Are we known at Cornerstone Baptist Church for our praising of the Lord? John Wesley in his journal entry on April 21st, 1764, said, I visited one who was ill in bed, and after burying seven of her family in six months, talk about a difficult season. Seven people passed away in six months. And she was now laying in bed sick. And she had her... She had just heard that, her, that the eighth, her beloved husband, was cast away at sea. And so John Wesley asked this lady, Do you not fret in any of those things? She said with a lovely smile upon her pale cheek, he wrote in his journal, Oh, no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all besides. He has given me himself. I love him, and I praise him every moment. 
I know that we're going to go through some difficult times in our lives, but God wants us to praise Him in the good times and in the difficult times. Psalm 111, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but that, that whole psalm talks about praising the Lord. And it's basically an encouragement and a charge to us as God's people to praise Him. And in that, in that chapter, we find six reasons to praise the Lord for. If you're wondering, what can I praise the Lord for? Well, you can praise Him for His works. You can praise Him for His character. You can praise Him for His provision in your life. And we mentioned that this morning as we went through Psalm 23. You can praise Him for His word. You can praise Him for His redemption. And you can praise Him for His name. And there's a lot more we can say on that, but for sake of time, we'll... We'll move on. But this church, they had a, a spirit of praising the Lord. Do you have a spirit of praising the Lord? Are you constantly singing praises to the Lord and, and in your own heart, Lord, thank you. I, I praise you for this and I praise you for that. It's difficult, yes, but I'm praising you for it anyway. I'm praising you for who you are in this moment. Do you praise the Lord like the early church did? I hope that you do, and I hope that our church will grow in this area of praising the Lord. Number four, and finally tonight, they had a godly testimony. This church, they had a, they had a godly testimony in the community. In verse, four, verse 47, once again, praising God and having favor with all the people. You see, the early church had a godly, good testimony in their community, and as a result, they had favor with all the people. Now, here's a great question to ask. What do people think in our community when they hear the name Cornerstone Baptist Church? Now, allow me to say this, that each and every one of us is responsible for how our community perceives us to some degree. Okay, We can't, we can't make people think anything, really, but... But, but our lives outside of these walls, uh, in many ways, determines our public testimony. And it's important for us to live in such a way that when people hear Cornerstone Baptist Church, they don't think, I, I don't want people to think, oh, that's a judgmental church. I don't want them to think, well, they are not very friendly over there. I want people to think, that's a place where they love the Lord, they love people, and it's a welcoming place. I want people to, to know that there is a, a, a church here that isn't necessarily directed toward people. Mostly it's directed toward the Lord. And, and we love people as well. 1 Peter chapter 2, here Peter is encouraging uh, Christians. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and, and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then he says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he said, look, you need to live in such a way that when, uh, that when they think of you, they, they have a good picture of the Lord. Remember when I talked about a couple Sunday, well, last week, Sunday morning, when we talked about the holiness of God? God wants us to live in such a way that it will cause people to think right about Him. Not necessarily about me. 
the purpose and the motive for me living a holy life is not so that my name would be made great, it's so that his name would be made great. And that's our, that's our whole goal, is not to make my name, and not even to make our church name great, although hopefully that happens. Hopefully, not, not that our name becomes great and mighty and wonderful, but, uh, but that there's a godly, godly uh, testimony here uh, from our church. Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul said uh, to the church there at Philippi, he said, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. God desires that our church would have a godly testimony in our community. Now, we may not have as much favor with all the people as the, as the church in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 did. Uh, particularly if they're taking a stand against biblical values and we take a stand for biblical values. Um, we need to stand for right and for truth. And if that means we don't have favor with everybody in the community, so be it. But we also shouldn't try to be obnoxious and jerks to everyone just because we're trying to stand for truth. We need to do so, we need to speak the truth in love, as, uh, as Paul told the Ephesians. So they had a godly testimony. So let me wrap it up with this thought. As a result of this church being healthy, having all of these characteristics evident in their church, the Bible says in verse 47, it, it concludes this way, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the Lord began to add to this church, and I think a good reason why he was daily adding to this church was because this church was healthy. This church was, had the right uh, priorities, and they were willing to follow God's word and, and will in this, in this area, and, and, and the Lord decided to bless them. Now, I want the Lord to bless the attendance of Cornerstone Baptist Church. But more than that, I want us to be a healthy church. I want us to be spiritually healthy. More important than having big numbers, because there's a whole host of churches out there that have humongous numbers who are not healthy, who are sick, who in one of these areas is very anemic. God wants us as a church, more important than being large, is being healthy. And then once we're healthy, then if the Lord and His will wants to add to it, praise the Lord. If He decides not to, that's fine too. It's His church. He promises to build it. Not He doesn't say, Eric, go build the church. He says, I will build my church. And it is His church, by the way. It's not mine and it's not yours. It's His um, so once again, let me ask this question as we've gone through these characteristics tonight, these four that we've uh, highlighted tonight, how are we doing in these areas? Do we as a church have generosity? I think in a lot of ways, yes. Could we grow in this? Certainly. Do we have gladness? From what I can tell, yes. But I want to, again, 
I think there's room for growth in each of these areas, that we could be more glad and thankful for the blessings that we have. And, and I know all of us in our flesh are tempted to gripe and complain and murmur and, and uh, talk about how things ought to be and whatever. Uh, but let's develop a spirit of gladness. Uh, what about this? Do we as a church give praise to God in the good times and in the bad times? Yes, in the good times, it's easy to do so. In the difficult times, are we praising the Lord anyhow? And then do we have a godly testimony in our community? I think we probably do. But I think we could stand to grow in each of these areas. But it's only going to happen if we each individually grow in these areas. And so I want to encourage you tonight, if the Lord's spoken to your heart about one or more of these areas, to do business with Him. Make some commitments and decisions to grow in these areas because this church isn't, it's not just this abstract idea. This church is you. It's me. You say, well, who's the church? Look in the mirror. That's who the church is. You say, wow, that's a pretty good looking church. (laughs) I want to encourage us all tonight to grow in these areas, these priorities of this very first church found in the book of Acts.